everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Machine Learning. This week on our panel, we have Gant Laborde. Hey, hey. Eric Chalmers. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, I'm just going to do a real quick plug for Max Coders. It's a platform about building the skills that are going to help you have a successful career in life. You can check it out at maxcoders.io. You can kind of think of it as uh, soft skills stuff is what we're talking about, though I am going to have some tech stuff in there as well. So uh, yeah, go check it out and see what's offered there. We have a special guest this week, and that is Jason Antic. Are you a software engineer trying to learn machine learning? Then you should check out the course from Educative.io called Machine Learning for Software Engineers. It has 87 lessons, 8 quizzes, 115 challenges, 163 playgrounds, and 2 code snippets. In other words, it's not just a set of videos that tell you how to do the thing. It actually walks you through all of the processes for machine learning. It gives you quizzes. It makes you do challenges. It's very hands-on. It's done with experts from companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple. And it is a terrific course that I've been learning to do machine learning. So go check it out at devchat.tv slash learnml. That's devchat.tv slash learnml. And that'll take you to the right place. You can sign up for the course. Jason, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. So I I guess the best way to introduce myself is I'm the guy who made this thing called Deoldify, uh, which is this really popular deep learning based tool to colorize images and video. Uh, and I did that last year, and I've been working on it ever since. Nice. Yes, that is cool. awesome. That's an example that, like, I think I see everybody showing. They're like, "Look what machine learning can do!" Here you go. Here's here's a photo. Now look at it. Woo! <laughs> it's yeah, too bad I, this is a podcast, really, because you really have to see this to get a sense for how cool it is, right? Yeah. Go look yeah, it up. We'll, we'll put some uh, links to it in the show notes where you can watch some of it. But it's it's interesting too because. You know, th this is somewhat, in my mind, along the lines of what we ex expect AI to be able to to do, I think, as, as we learn more about it. And I'm waiting for the, the couple of things where, you know, people just come in and it's like mind blown. It's like, I didn't even think computers would ever come up with that. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, this is really interesting. And I'm curious how it all works. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about how you came up with this idea and then walk us through the process of building it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so last year, I took uh, Fast AI. Fast AI is this online MOOC for deep learning. And it took about like three months to get through parts one and two. And then uh, after that, I just wanted to do a capstone project. And I have like a list of like 15 different projects that I wanted to do. <laughs> and one of them was this sort of shower thought I had where I thought, hey, you know, I wonder why people aren't doing this yet, where you take a GM and try to train you know network to colorize well because up until this point colorization just didn't work very well it was pretty dull and not too impressive so gans had this promise of being able to do things much more realistically gans standing for uh, generative adversarial networks so i got to work on that after my courses were complete and took about six weeks between August and September last year. And I was wrong a lot, but eventually I was right. <laughs> and I mean, I was hilariously wrong at first. It was really bad looking. And when I posted these photos uh, on Facebook, as I was progressing, people really were wondering what, I, what the hell I was thinking. But, <laughs> but, I, but I, I was I don't know. I, I've been to that part of uh, Willy Wonka's factory. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, uh, I was, you know, I've seen little signs of progress here and there. And then eventually just one day it actually really worked. And wow. I got excited about it. And I immediately went to Reddit and posted <laughs> the project on the uh, machine learning subreddit. And I didn't think it would get as much attention as it would. But the next day, I found out that Corey Doctorow from Boing Boing picked up the story, posted about it. And then uh, at that point, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> because I knew, <laughs> I knew at that point it, it, went, it was going to go viral. And it did. And I started getting a lot of attention for it. So my life changed ever since. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I wasn't even planning on working on the project that long. I, you know, I was like going to do six weeks at that and then move on to other things. But this just 
really caught on. And then uh, I've been actually just obsessing over it ever since well over a year now. Wow. What a what an amazing world with this new technology where you get a shower thought and it's just next thing you know, that's <laughs> that's the thing that's catching on. I want to I want to rewind a little bit for for some people coming in here. So some people might be very familiar with GANs. They might be really familiar with uh, a lot of the concepts, but I want to just do a quick elevator pitch and talking about some of the concepts here. So one of the things that somebody might say is like, oh, you have these these colored photos and then you you take the color out of it and then you're telling the machine, hey, figure out how to put the color back in. Um, yeah. And then you apply a GAN to that. Which, by the yes. way, I'm since my name is Gant, it actually always stood for Generative Adversarial Network Technology. I just don't know if I knew that. <laughs> but uh, I guess like like you took it to the next level of of sort of like having the discriminator and the governor working. Can you just take a minute and break down that sort of that 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 sort of process of how you get some data, how you were getting it in there, and then elevator pitch it to us uh, so that way anybody who's new to this can know what to go Google. Sure, I'll do the best I can. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, as far as the data is concerned, it's a very simple idea. You're just taking modern photos, like let's say ImageNet. I mean, ImageNet's like a huge data set of like 1.4 million images, I think. So you want that magnitude of images and they're all, you know, just modern color images. And what you do with them is you say, okay, that's my target. Now I need to create the before images, the black and white images that you're starting with. So you just convert them to grayscale and you do other things like uh, mess them up a little bit, like make the resolution a little bit worse, mm -hmm. uh, add a little bit of noise and stuff like that. You know, you're trying to simulate what an old photo is, right? Because that's what mm -hmm. you want your neural network to do. You want it to fix that. So that's your data. And then the next step, so the next component rather is you mentioned again. So first, you know, just a neural network in general, like like if you were not to use again, you would just have a, a one singular generator model. And that generator model would be trained directly to colorize images. And you know, like I mentioned before, that doesn't work as well, but you could still do that. The GAN idea is that you take another model called a critic, which will look at real color images versus the ones that the generator is generating and figure out which one's real and which one's generated. And what they what you do with that is you have the critic give feedback to the generator every time it's evaluating these before and afters or these uh I'm sorry, the, the generator versus real and use that to train the generator because the critic's going to tell the generator just how good or bad those generated images are. And in turn, the generator gets better and better and makes the critic work harder and harder. So they have this feedback loop that, you know, where they go back and forth teaching each other. And that sort of competition or adversarial, if you will, situation produces really good results. Um, it's a little bit wonky. I mean, it, it, like it, it tends to go off the rails a lot, but when it works, it works really well. That's a great explanation. Thank you. I think I think that helps a lot of people sort of understand how you get a ridiculous amount of information and then have it work so well. Right. And then the adversarial part of it is the, you know, kind of the one-upmanship between your critic and your system. Yeah, right? correct. Mm -hmm. But Jason, you, you kind of took a new approach in that you didn't uh, use a straight GAN, right? You, you kind of trained each part separately first. Could you... Could you provide a little more detail on that? Yeah, so that's an interesting, uh, that's a very interesting thing to talk about. So originally when I worked on Deoldify, I just started with training the GAN from scratch. So the original Deoldify was just doing GANs the way they're normally done, which is you have a generator that doesn't know what the hell it's doing at the beginning, and you have the critic that doesn't know what the hell it's doing at the beginning. So the gener generator will start by generating noise, and the critic will start by not knowing that noise is any worse than real images, right? <laughs> so that's that's actually how GANs usually are trained. And when I saw this situation, I, I was just thinking like, wow, that seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because I don't know, it just seems like you're setting up the GAN for failure, right? It's kind of like, uh, would you have like the blind leading the blind, right? Like, why would you do that? So, you know, I did, 
this this is a big thing from Fast AI. Uh, Jeremy Howard, who teaches the course, has been a real pioneer in this thing called transfer learning. And it's one mm-hmm. of the things that you really take away from Fast AI is the power of transfer learning. And he he's he's the guy, by the way, that really got transfer learning to be popular in NLP and natural language processing. So now that we see these language models like BERT and GPT-2, you know, these incredible models mm-hmm. that, that, that really, really work well and they didn't before, uh, that, that was transfer learning. Uh, and you see transfer learning in uh, computer vision as well and so on. So, you know, it's a very powerful thing. It, and up to this point last year, when I was looking at Deoldify back in, let's say, November at this point, after it was initially released, transfer learning just wasn't being done for GANs. And I just didn't know why. So at that point, Jeremy and I were working together on course material because he saw my work on Deoldify after I released it and, and contacted me. And he wanted to incorporate that into his lesson seven. So we got to work on that. And then I, I brought this up to him. I said, hey, do you think we could do transfer learning for GANs? And we had a two-week window to work with, by the way. <laughs> and, and his, he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we did it. <laughs> and, and we did it in two weeks. I was awesome. really... I was really proud of that. The way, so we wound up calling it NoGAN. So the reason why we're calling it NoGAN is this is, a very, this is a special kind of GAN training. So yeah, so what we're doing here with the transfer learning part is that instead of starting off your generator and critics as feral children, right? When they start teaching each other. I have five. Uh, you give them an education first, right? So you, you teach the generator in the traditional, more controllable way and take it as far as possible, which you, you can still take it really far. You know, you can get it to the point where it's generating okay images using traditional method, methods. You just can't get it all the way to GAN quality, right? So you do that. And then the critic, you can then train by looking at what that okay generator generates and comparing that to real images. And you do, and, and you train the critic as what's called a binary classifier, which is a very basic kind of uh, neural network, very easy to train. So, so you're just saying this is, you know, you're, you're, you're asking it to, to distinguish between real and fake. Mm-hmm. And then finally, after all that, you finally put them together and then you train them as uh, a GAN. And what's really cool about this situation when you train them like that is, first of all, because you don't have garbage that, you know, like, like the, you know, the generator is not generating noise and the critic knows better than to think that noise is awesome. <laughs> that seems to go a long way to making the results a lot cleaner and better and reliable. Uh, so your training, your training starts on a much better start. The second thing is that the whole process of getting much better results from from the, the GAN training part happens incredibly quickly. And that's really the surprising part. So my F8, talk that I did in May about the video functionality, I demonstrated that the desirable part that you're getting from the the GAN training, you know, where you're going from a dull image to like very colorful was taking like 10 minutes of GAN training. Wow. (laughs) And that's after like you're doing like a day or so of all that pre-training that I just described. Yeah, that's the GAN transfer learning idea in a nutshell and again that's called uh no gan yeah very that, cool very that cool. is so cool man uh so i guess i, I want to ask two different questions now <laughs> yeah uh first one i want to ask just for everybody is uh so, so how long ago did you start taking the course and start actually jumping in full force into AI? Was this something you're always interested in or did you take the <laughs> course and then get excited? Oh, the, yeah. So this is, okay. So I kind of want to help other people out there because like I, I definitely tried multiple times <laughs> on this you know, path and I rage quit quite a few times before I actually stuck with it <laughs> because... <laughs> uh, you know, I had to say, you know, at least a few years ago, I don't know what I don't, I don't know what it's like now. But, you know, I, I, I got interested in deep learning years ago, like actually even in college. And, you know, this will age me a bit. But, you know, back in the mid 2000s, you know, I, I was actually interested in neural networks even back then. And I was very surprised that they didn't even like teach them in my courses because I took a computer vision course and and a uh, artificial intelligence course in, in Penn State and they didn't 
uh, cover that stuff at all. So neural networks were definitely not in fashion back then. But, you know, I was paying attention when uh, deep learning came around in 2012. And, you know, I, I started trying to take, you know, the courses that people were recommending. I won't name names. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to name, name any particular ones. But I can just tell you, there were quite a few popular ones that a lot of people talk about that I tried and I just couldn't get into or, you know, I mean, honestly, yeah, I got bored or, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, some, some of it was, you know, the math was a little too much too fast. And a lot of it was just poor course structure. And and it was a lack of time too, really, because, you know, you're trying to do this on top of like working, you know, a software developer job and all the other stuff you're supposed to do. So back in like three years ago, I started taking the first version of Fast AI and that actually stuck and I loved it. And oh, good. Yeah. yeah. It was just a totally different experience from anything I, I tried previously. The only problem I had with it was, you know, I, I, I still had to put in a lot of time for it. So I, I was like taking vacation days just to learn it. Then I just kind of <laughs> realized how crazy this was. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to actually set aside even more time for this. So I actually planned like a year ahead of time to actually go part-time at work and then dedicate a whole bunch more time on this stuff. So that's what I did. And then back last last year, I went full time, like almost full time on learning fast AI um, part version two, part one and two last year and nice. summer, summer of 2018. And still, you know, and this this is something I want to emphasize is it was like still like three months of <laughs> solid, you know, coursework, even with all that extra time. And then, and then that capstone project that turned into like my obsession that I'm still working on to this day. So that's awesome. how I got into it. I, I, I just want to call something out here. And, and this is me on kind of the kick that I've been on lately, you know, working on Max Coders and everything else is you really wanted to learn it. You wanted to go out and do it. And a lot of people would just feel like, you know what, I have to hold down my job. I've got a, you know, I've got all these other responsibilities in life and there's just no way. And instead, you just went after it. And I, I applaud you for that because, you know, there were plenty of reasons why you couldn't do it. And you went for it anyway because you wanted it. Yeah. It, I mean, I know not everybody can do what I did. You know, I just want to make that clear. Oh, fair, uh, but... Yeah. Because, like, I, I have a wife that is very tolerant, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> the secret behind every excellent coder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> understate that enough uh, yeah it, you know and and you know there, there's quite a, I, I just have to emphasize there's quite a bit of privilege there coming into that you know i had a good reputation at work so not everybody can go part-time either at their job and i know that you know you have to be pretty established and be able to <laughs> negotiate that but yeah i mean it it definitely it definitely wasn't easy even with all that privilege <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've, I really appreciate you sharing this information with everybody. And I think that like mediums like podcasts, you've definitely been putting a lot of great information out on Twitter. It, it's definitely not been something that you've you've hoarded or kept to yourself. It's a, it's something that it looks like uh, good people want to share. So kudos on that. Even if it was hard, uh, it looks like you're sharing Dealdify with a lot of people and then also continuing to make it better and, and share that with the community as well. Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I just... You know, really, I kind of share Jeremy Howard's mindset on this Mm -hmm. stuff, which is I really like the idea of democratizing deep learning. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of components to that, you know, just first of all, just really encouraging and letting people know that, no, you could really do it, you know, because I'm not, I'm not particularly special myself. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I, I only have a bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. you know, computer science. And uh, I, I, up, up until this point, I was working in a cubicle and insurance company as a software engineer for 10 years. And it was exactly like you imagined it, which is you know, like like office, <laughs> office space, right? <laughs> I, have, I have to say I have a special place in my heart. I worked for an insurance company at computer science degree to go work as the in the tech department of an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I have to say open source at, for... Uh, 
open source and just sort of like open technologies finally gotten me out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah, that that, yeah. that that's a, that's what got me out too. Yeah, actually, that, that's good. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, not that there's anything wrong with insurance companies, right? I work for an right. insurance company. <laughs> oh my god, what is are you serious? Right <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing yeah, wrong the with insurance companies. True. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with insurance companies. Please keep paying my uh, my. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Charles, we found out who still works for the insurance company. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you, Jason. Just for people who are getting into this, can you talk a little bit about the hardware requirements? I mean, were you using kind of off-the-shelf hardware to train these things, or did you have access to a deep learning machine? Of well, some kind? Okay, so I want to be honest about this <laughs> because I, I, up until this point, I've only advertised that I, I you know, work with the GeForce. 1080 Ti, right? That's so technically that's true. You know, this Dualify will run on a 1080 Ti. You can train it on a 1080 Ti on a normal gaming PC, basically uh, with Linux on it, of course. Now that being said, when I was looking into doing this stuff, I, I realized that there's a lot of value in having more than one GPU if you want to do experiments, and that really makes all the difference in terms of how much progress you can make. So I have a beast of a machine in my dining room and it heats up the whole house it has uh, four <laughs> gpus it has four 1080 ti's and wow. like 128 gigabytes of ram and a thread ripper with 32 cores so that's actually what's running this stuff and it's always running really hot <laughs> and the electric bill is really high all the time <laughs> <laughs> so instead that's of mining what we call efficiency right because it heats the house yeah. <laughs> with a white noise machine. Um, right. you know, if you lean against it, you get a little bit of that nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bitcoin's going to go up in value, and then Jason's going to be like, eh, "Dealdify." <laughs> exactly. Mm. No, it's actually kind of funny because uh, I live in San Diego, and the one thing you kind of lack around here for, and this might sound really weird, but is uh, climate control. So if you want heat, you have to have a space heater. So this is actually like. Great for the winter time. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna run the oldify and put my feet on the on the. Yeah, <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's so hot. I, I and I have water cooling on it too, and it still gets really oh, hot. Wow. Uh, Jason, I want to ask you. You, you kind of threw out there about oldify uh, and F8. You talked about it going to video, right? Yeah, and so I want to just ask a question as as someone who's never kind of seen something go from stills to video did you have to adjust the process to like remove some kind of flicker like would there be all <laughs> of a sudden or did did it just like work so okay this is such an interesting story i think anyway it's kind of hard to remember what things were like before you actually solved the problems but i'll try to recount the best i can which is you know <laughs> as far as i know I think most people had the same assumption that I did at the, at before I, I actually solved this problem, which is that video required temporal modeling, meaning that you had to reduce inconsistencies between frames by making the model make, make explicit notes of what frame came before and what came after and, you know, making sure that those frames were consistent, right? Uh, that's, that's called temporal modeling. And so... When, when just thinking about that what immediately would curb my ambitions for doing any sort of work on video because it's like, oh, wow, that's way harder, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought anyway. Then uh, this guy from Arizona, uh, Robert Bell, he started messaging me on Facebook and sending me these videos that he did with Deoldify. So he just took, you know, FFmpeg and shredded uh, videos and then colorized individual frames with the oldify so so it's just the normal image colorizing the oldify that i put out there that he's doing this with and i looked at him and i was like wow okay they they kind of suck like i expected right <laughs> so they're all like <laughs> flickery and inconsistent and you totally cannot really watch them comfortably mm -hmm. but then you know i i took a closer look at what was actually happening right and i was like oh wow wait so if i if I if I just make the colorizing process really really good on individual photos, all these problems would actually pretty much go away, hmm. right? Because that's really what the problem was. So that so 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 actually this is actually where no gain came from because 
because uh, we, you know, we actually, we did the initial work in November, but it wasn't on like video. It was for training like super resolution on images. It was just something we threw into the lesson seven of fast AI. But then when the, when these videos started coming to me and I was starting to think about the problem, I was like, well, okay, so I, what I really need to do here is figure out how to stabilize GAN training. Uh, and I think if I do that, I'll solve this flickering problem. And so I was thinking about the no-GAN work we did, and I was like, huh, I bet, you know, if I, if I really focus on it, I could get this to work. And that's what I did. Um, now, the, the, you know, there was just, you know, a lot of surprises along the way. You know, and that, that's kind of what's been interesting about this whole process over the past year is like, you know, the, these, these things that are figured out, uh, they tend to be these weird observations that you make that you have to pay attention to and then just act upon them and not disregard them. So, you know, the, the videos that Robert Bell was sending me, um, that was the first thing, you know, I had to pay close attention to and realize what was actually going on. And then the second thing was, I didn't actually know that Nogan trained so fast. So for a while, I was doing this Nogan training, trying to get the videos to colorize well, and I was failing and wondering why, you know, I was still getting like pretty bad results, even with no with the uh, the 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 transfer learning for GANs, no GAN training. And then I slowly started realizing that, wow, you know what? Actually, if I really look closely at these results, you know, the the I'm getting some surprisingly impressive results, like within the first like a thousand iterations of training. So I had to take a closer look at that, and it basically looked like at the very microscopic level of like per iteration, like, you know, where, where's it actually going bad? And then, so I, I finally realized that there was just like inflection point that up until that point, Nogan training was awesome. And then it diverged. So that's, that's how I figured it out. And, you know, again, it's just it, it, these weird things that come up that, you know, you just have to, you know, when, when they don't meet your expectations, you just, you, you take a closer look and you act upon it. Cause I could have easily disregarded that and just chalked up what I was experiencing to as like, oh, well, I just, this just doesn't work because yeah. in a conventional sense, based on the expectations of, you know, what I learned up to that point, you know, I, what, I, what I would have expected is that more training is better. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like a thousand iterations should definitely not be enough. Right. <laughs> mm. So what is the word for that in GANs? Is it still like overfitting or, or um, a high variance or whatever? Like, is it still that same concept? I, I think. Or, or, or is it just the, uh, like the stochastic gradient descent thing where you, you end up not, not ever finding the global optima, but kind of bouncing around it. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so, so it has a lot to do with, I've learned ever since that, you know, if you increase the batch size, that helps a bit, you know, because what really what happens is it, yeah, it bounces around and, and like the result you'll see from, from a high level is like, it's, it's like a sine wave of good, bad, good, bad. Ah. Uh, but that sine wave, yeah, the sine wave only starts after a certain point. So you want to get to that, you, you want to stop right at that point where the sine wave begins. Because because you can, so, so so the thing that drove me nuts when I was trying to figure this out was like, I <laughs> there seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to where the good result was and where the bad, bad results were. <laughs> but then I finally figured out, and this just took a lot of observation that it was like a sine wave. Like it was actually just going mm. good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Part of that, <laughs> I, was, I was training on a batch size of seven on this. <laughs> which is yeah. pretty low, especially for a GAN. I mean, if you, if we, there's this uh, thing called big GAN and they tell you that, um, oh yeah, you get much better results if you have like a batch size of like a thousand or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm working with very limited resources here, right? Uh, so, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing too, is uh, trying to work within those constraints on a, on a desktop computer. You can do it. It's just a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so think, uh, oh go ahead sorry we need to forever call that the sign of madness <laughs> <laughs> no but that that process you're describing where you you're you know you're experimenting with things and and noticing and discovering like that to me that's what makes deep learning so exciting i mean like i'm by no means a deep learning expert but i get the sense that it's not an exact science yet and there's there is still a lot of just kind of pushing into the frontier finding out what you can do what works what doesn't and, and then trying to find out why like, uh, it's, it's a very uh it's a very exploratory process, which I think is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 
that that's the positive way of looking at it. <laughs> like, uh, it, 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 so, so I got to tell you too, like just to be brutally honest here, like I'm coming from a software engineering background and you know, what I really like in hindsight about software engineering is that the problem solving has a beginning and an end <laughs> where, <laughs> you, you know, like I'm really good at that, right? Like I'm really good at, narrowing like like narrowing down the search and that's how how i do problem solving i treat it like a search problem and you know that it has to be within this certain time and space so you figure that out first and then you know you just whittle it down until you get to the answer um and that's a very reliable process i'm very good at it but with uh with deep learning it's you know when you get ambitious anyway um you're trying to do stuff that's not been done yet then yes yes charitably speaking it's a Science is a process of discovery, and that's exciting, and it's great when it works. But it's a lot of it's a lot of dead ends, and a lot of self doubt, and a lot of uh, being wrong. And that's probably the hardest thing about it. Is just uh, at least from, you know I'm describing my own experience here. It's going to be different for others depending on what you're doing. But the ambitious stuff I'm trying to do, I'm just I'm wrong all the time, and that's that. So so a lot of what I, in my opinion make, makes or breaks the uh, whole process even as to whether or not things get done has a lot more to do with tenacity and your ability to deal with getting your ego hit over and over <laughs> again <laughs> on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how much of it then feels like a black box and how much of it feels like something you can actually like get in and debug because well, essentially you're handing it a model and you're training it right so you don't have uh, observable models you look at the results and decide if they're good or not right yeah it, that's kind of an interesting question i think because like you you want to treat it as much of a not black box as possible because you know that, yeah then you have control yeah 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 i mean but but that is kind of an illusion honestly uh, but yeah it, it's kind of a mixed bag like you know, I'm still I, I'm still learning along the way, like as to what exactly is effective and what's not, because I ha- I have to. But you know, the one thing I I do know that you really need to do is uh, set up uh, feedback mechanisms. Like uh, you know, TensorBoard was one of the first things I did, and uh, you know, where where it's displaying the images that are being generated. Like I have it displaying every 50 iterations. That really helps. But you know, I also make it a habit of like if I'm seeing a glitch, I'll print out like different layers, like what the max number is so you can narrow it down okay that looks really strange you know and then you and then mm-hmm. you know you're just looking at one layer and you say okay probably you know uh, multiplying way too much or needs normalization or something mm-hmm. like that so that's that's how you break through the black box a little bit but and then i know there are ways of visualizing visualizing this stuff i and i know there's some other things i could do which i'm not doing but you know i also got to say uh yeah a lot of it is just a lot of guesswork on my part <laughs> at this point i don't know how much of it has to be but that that's again where i'm wrong a lot is where i you know you try to look at the model and really reason about it you know and what's going on and, and sometimes I'm right, but a lot or seemingly right. And I got, I got, I got to emphasize that, that like, like, uh, it's always <laughs> your, your mental idea of what's going on in the model is also a model, right? Yeah. And that, 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 that should always be evolving, I think. Yeah. So that, that's, that's basically my experience on that. It's, it's definitely mostly a black box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. We're in that world where, you know, you just, you're printing out logs and you're guessing what's happening. I feel like this when I start most uh, new programming languages. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually, hopefully, more tools come around. TensorBoard's a fantastic one. Google's actually got a lot of good debugging tools, I'll have to say, um, especially around around this field. Um, I'm looking forward to see what people come up with. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely still a need for that, for the tooling. Mm-hmm. As you know, as my, there's been a lot of progress on it, but yeah, I, I think that's where a lot of low hanging fruit and a lot of potential productivity gains are going to be found. Honestly, I'm I'm curious what third party tools. I mean, you know, Gantz mentioned TensorBoard, and I, we've heard TensorFlow mentioned a few times. Are you using TensorFlow or some other third party systems or libraries to do this? Oh, I'm actually using uh, so the Fast AI library is what I'm okay mostly. Yeah, focused on and the uh, fast AI library wraps around PyTorch. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason why I use oh, okay. the reason why I use fast AI is because it basically encodes a whole bunch of like things that should be no brainer best practices. You know, like things like you know augmentation of your images and you know the exact set of magical combination of defaults that generally work really well for certain training scenarios. You know, just all. All sorts of things like that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm definitely a big believer in automating away that sort of stuff as much as possible, so you can focus on uh, bigger, and better things. But you know, at the same time, they really have a good philosophy of saying if those defaults aren't correct, you're free to customize the code, which I've also done. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of actually, especially lately. I was hoping you were going to say you used fast AI because it was fast, but. <laughs> it is. It is actually. Uh, that's the amazing thing about it too. Uh, it is as advertised. They, uh, they've, they've made a lot of uh, progress. Uh, again, it's a lot to do with transfer learning and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, one of the first lessons that you take, it actually is the first lesson, is classifying dog breeds. And I know mm-hmm. that trains really fast. I forget, I, I forget exactly how fast that trains. But like I know the cats and dogs classifier that they had when mm-hmm. I took it is like, five to 10 minutes of training <laughs> on, <laughs> nice. on a desktop, you know? So yeah, this stuff is, you know, I have to emphasize it's very doable on the desktop, even, you know, like what I'm working on, which is, it is state of the art, you know, yeah. impressive yeah. stuff, you know? So it's not just a witty name. It actually is fast. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And actually, yeah. Another, th- another thing to point out there too, is they have actually done things like broken uh, image net training records in terms of wow okay yeah so <laughs> in terms of like the amount of time to train so they, they've put a lot of emphasis on that so if you're looking for speed that's a good place to go too i think you might be talking me into it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so here's maybe more of a i don't know if it's a theory question or what but in your github you talk about how uh, if, if something goes wrong, it's usually like orange skin or what you call zombie hands where the, the skin is <laughs> mostly fine gray or whatever yeah. Uh, so, like, I've those seen are things that. Uh, on TV. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, so, I wonder. I mean, like, those are things that we as humans we look at that and just know that it's wrong, right? We know that skin isn't supposed to be gray and it's not supposed to be orange uh, either. You know, how how do you build in like a bit of human knowledge into deep learning? I, I know there's this whole school of thought that says you shouldn't try to do that, but uh, yeah, are, are there are there ways in your opinion that that could be done? Oh boy, dude, that's that's a great question. Okay, so that that's multi level because you know first. Okay, so first I'll tell you one of the one of the reasons why I went with GANs or Deoldify was for that reason because uh, that was in my mind the best bet for capturing the the sorts of nuances, right? Because one of the big things I emphasized in my FA talk about this was that figuring out a loss function that captures the stuff that's important to humanize, you know, when we distinguish what's real and what's not, is very difficult. Right, the actually formulating practice, like I and I just said, I, I simply don't know how to do it. So that's the idea behind GANs is that you know the real big thing in my mind is that they actually learn the loss function for you. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, you know, because yeah. like because I, I I can just tell you, uh, like like you know, I've been I've been asked this over and over again. Well, can't you just compare pixels to pixels, right? And I'm like, no, you can't. That you know, that'd be like MSC loss or L1 loss or whatever. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, no, you can't, because what that leads to is uh, encouraging the neural network to cheat. It'll look for those average numbers, those average colors that fulfill the requirements that you are putting on it. So, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you force schools to uh, achieve a certain standardized score. And, you know, for, for their students, mm-hmm. uh, they teach the test, right? <laughs> they, mm-hmm. you know, they cheat. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of like what happens with simple measures in, in, in general, right? When you have simple measures, you get simple results. And so with, with you know, the case of like image colorization, you get brown and green and blue because they're common and they're easy and they're average and they and they and they score well according to the metric that you're supplying but it's a bad metric uh, you don't want that so yeah the idea is that the gan can find that loss function for you and formulate that for you essentially 
And it does that in my mind. It's just uh, the the major downside is that it takes a lot of extra memory in your GPU. And uh, still to this day, they're still very unstable. So that's that's the trade off there. You know, that being said, I, I, I still take it one step further because like, you know, that's still not enough. Uh, I, I would just simply argue you can't completely automate this yet. So I, you know, the thing that's been driving me nuts for like the past year is that in order to really track progress on this stuff, I simply have to look at TensorBoard constantly and compare <laughs> generated images over and over again because they're just stuff that won't be caught otherwise. Interesting. Yeah. So is this all written in Python or is it written in some other language? Uh, Python, yeah. I still love Ruby and I'm still waiting for to be able to do this with Ruby. But. Oh man, everybody take a drink. I, I, I miss Ruby too. I know, right? <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's any Swift fans out there, but Fast AI is working on uh, oh. being, being written around Swift now. It's, uh, actually, it's uh, being written on top of uh, Swift for TensorFlow. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the idea there, I, I know they're trying to make it so that you can really peer deep into the neural network in terms of debugging, because up until this point, it's, it's very much a black box once you get to the, you know, the NVIDIA software, you know, and so, um, yeah, the, basically, that, that, that's one of their goals there is to be able to uh, really like treat every step as a debuggable step. All right, you talked me into it. I'm, uh, that's it. I was looking, I was either going to go after reinforcement learning or like I was going to go after something else. Now I'm taking the fast AI course. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't yeah, worry, I can't, it's fast. I, yeah, I can't talk them up enough, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, I would also say that one, another great thing about them is that they do very broad coverage of materials. Mm -hmm. And I find that hugely beneficial uh, because I you know, I think it was briefly uh, alluded to, I, I forget what the context was, but these different subfields and and deep learning seem to have little to do with each other, like maybe NLP yeah. versus uh, vision and stuff, but actually they do, I, in my mind. And actually, I think, you know, like, for example, again, like vision was doing this transfer learning stuff for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Jeremy Howard finally brought it to natural language processing because they just weren't doing it and it revolutionized the field. So I really think that broad view of the whole field that they teach at FASA is hugely beneficial because that transfer learning stuff was like obvious to us. He, he brought it up like even before he did it and uh, we're like, yeah, of course you should do that. You know, why not? <laughs> and he just he went ahead and did it. And so the rest is history. And I've, I've had similar insights on other stuff. Um, that I've been wanting to try, just haven't been able to try yet. Um, actually, you know, even GANs, like I was really, again, I was really surprised uh, that you didn't really see like GANs with UNETs, um, UNETs being the uh, image to image networks. So yeah, just really surprised, like how little left hand talks to you know? <laughs> that, that I think that's all of machine learning right now, right? You've got some people are just rewriting the same exact thing in a new programming language right yeah <laughs> yeah right have all these these and I, I refer to it as like there's all these islands and there are no bridges so information sort of like gathers up on one island and then finally someone builds the bridge and yeah. then that's what happens there's just this sudden amazing connection and i feel like there's quite a few of those that are going to happen over the next five years that are going to change the hell out of what it is that every developer is doing in the next 10. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree with you on that. I think that's where the low-hanging fruit probably is at this yeah. point in the field. Yeah. Well, and we've seen this over and over and over again. I mean, history, uh, I've heard, I heard somebody say history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. And we see you know, new technology <laughs> or new scientific breakthroughs or whatever come out. And then somebody goes, oh, I guess if that's true, then this must be true too. Yes. And then we start having all these big leaps forward. So, yeah. you know, so something's going to come and break loose here with some of this stuff. And it's just a matter of time. And some of it's, you know, we're going to see it and we're all going to go, <laughs> that was obvious. And right, right. some of it's going to be, you know, why did, we, we've been staring at this for five years. Why didn't we think of that? And then 
the, some of it's going to be, uh, you know, just kind of a, oh, wow, that was beautifully simplistic. And, you know, we just never would have gotten there unless we'd had this happy accident. So, yeah, I just mm-hmm. I just put this out there on the podcast for people listening, uh, because I keep wanting to put this thought out there. and I just can't put enough work <laughs> into it to prove it yet. But uh, I, I'm a really big fan of self-attention. And uh, that's what I use in Deoldify. And I and I've been putting a lot of focus on that, by the way on my latest work and I've been making a lot of progress with it. Like I've been seeing a huge amount of gains on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been able to release it yet and show people, but um, I just want to put it out there that I really think that there needs to be more attention on self-attention. And mm-hmm. because up, up till this point, as far as I can tell, all, all the attention on attention is in natural language processing for the most part. So you hear about the transfor- transformer architecture and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. But uh, I'm really surprised, you know, still to this day, that it's not like the standard in, in uh, com- computer vision models. I, I'm very convinced that it, it, it's like the next logical step. Uh, I just, so I'm just putting this out there uh, for people <laughs> who are listening. You know, there's probably like a lot of low-hanging fruit right there. It's probably not hard. Nice. That was a good endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it may just take your set of eyes, your way of thinking about it, whoever's mm-hmm. listening. Yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, that, that's our thing too. It's like you might think that surely there's a lot of smart people in, in this field thinking about these things, uh, you know, especially in deep learning. Like, there's just so much money and uh, so many smart people involved in big companies you know, involved. But it seems like actually in practice, it's just uh, there's a lot of all these smart people focus on very narrow things. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's the classic uh, strange thing. It's like, like we have these giant businesses, like they're coming up, they have teams of people. And so they're going to come up with all the great ideas. And then somebody comes out of the woodworks. It's like, Hey, look what I built. And that catches on fire. Yeah. Because like the big yeah, companies yeah. are like, nobody gets fired for saying uh, we should go with IBM. Right. So like, right, right. you're not going to, it's a different architecture and the iteration sort of like you having a computer in your dining room that's warming your house. Like <laughs> none of those executives are doing anything close to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that what I find is experience has the benefit of being able to weed out all of the extra stuff that they don't need to know in order to get whatever it is that they're getting done, done. And mm. the difference is, is that, yeah, then you get some new person in who doesn't know that that needs to be weeded out. <laughs> they don't know that they're wrong. And it turns mm. out that they're not wrong. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, yeah no, the, the coolest part of what you've done, Jason, I think is, in my opinion, is in challenging the assumption about temporal modeling and video. Like the fact that you can colorize a video frame by frame without looking at the previous or following frames. Like I, I, I wouldn't have thought that would work because I had bought into that assumption you mentioned uh, that, you know, videos are inherently temporal and your model needs to have a temporal component. But you yeah, I mean, blown that right out of the water. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, people will still rightly point out that there, there are some flickering issues with with video but they're a lot less than you would expect and right. i still think that the way forward is to make image image processing better rather than focusing on temporal modeling it was simply it was more like a, an engineering sense i was trying to bring to it the the problem too because you know the whole tacking on a, a thing called temporal modeling to compensate for the lack of consistency just seemed really hacky to me so i, I think that's another thing too with this field is i really think uh, just good old engineering sense is a really valuable thing to bring into it right now. Like, I, you know, did PyTorch 1.3 just came out yesterday. And I was really happy about something I, th- I thought was so brain dead simple that they should have done a long time ago, which is this thing called named tensors, which is this idea that instead of having to put comments in your code describing what this index in the tensor uh, means, you know, like this is your uh, set of color channels, and this is your height and width, and or or and uh, this is your batch size. That uh, it's all it, you just access this stuff by name, right? And huh. and the tensor itself. So it's like self-documenting code, uh, which is a thing I'm really a fan of as a software engineer because, like, you know, I think anything else, like you know, comments to indicate this stuff is just uh, inferior because those things can go out of date and be misleading and it's just cluttered 
in the code. So that's, you know, to me, that's like basic software engineering discipline that is sorely lacking right now in the field. And it's surprising. And in particular, because I know how much of a difference that sort of thing makes, right? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's really surprising, you know, just how much how much low hanging fruit there is still and i think that's another mm-hmm. another big big thing uh, that and i would say along along with that i would say sensible tooling mm-hmm. revolving around you know software engineering of of these machine learning models yeah um, uh, are are you deal defying full time now oh yeah uh, i mean i i work 8 hours a week at that old job <laughs> that i called office space <laughs> I, I think i think my boss will have a sense of humor about it if he ever hears that <laughs> i hope <laughs> please forgive me uh, but yeah the rest of the time is is spent obsessing on the old and being wrong all the time Nice. <laughs> and nice. making small little progress here and there fail I, I, I got, away success man fail the way to success yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it. Yeah, you just have to be really comfortable with failure. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in a certain sense, you're you're either figuring out things that other people know, or you're inventing, you know, your way to the next thing. So, yeah, you, you, you have to fail in order to get there. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you you mentioned the whole like uh, lack of experience, you know, to 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 dismiss things like everybody else would that sort of thing uh, and that's exactly where i'm coming from so it, it seems like it's been beneficial so far where i've been like kind of delusionally ambitious on this stuff <laughs> no not nice. to no not to say no that's 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 wrong or, or or stupid or impossible you know i think i'll get there eventually i'm gonna have like a whole bunch of like hard set opinions about things. And then I won't be making any more discoveries after that. But, (laughs) (laughs) but in the meantime, yeah, it's been driven by like, I don't, I just don't know better. All right. Well, anything else that we should be talking about before we do picks? You know, I wanted to tell you guys about the uh, really cool, metropolis remix video that came out but that just got taken offline (laughs) oh did it for copyright notice yeah yeah it did yeah i i was kind of mystified by that because i thought it was public domain but yeah they uh so it was uh, you know i I can just tell you about it It, you know it's one of the things i really like about putting this deoldify work out there is open source is that a whole bunch of people have you know run with this software Mm -hmm. and done some really cool things you know there's some not so great things, but this was like really well done. They took they took the movie Metropolis because I've done demos mm-hmm. on it in the past and shown that you could do scenes really well with it with the Oldify, and they did the whole movie and then they did uh, dubbing on top of it. They mm-hmm. called it Metropolis Remix, and it was just such a great, I would say, nearly professional yeah. uh, job that they did on it. I was really impressed. I I was actually <laughs> that was like the height of my Oldify adventure so far honestly seeing that happen yeah it was uh, really good I, I actually i i'm sad it's down because I, I watched a good part of it and that exposed me to the movie i i i've seen like people reference it and a couple other things but you know i don't what was it originally like german I, yeah i don't speak german you've got to really twist my arm and say this is going to be worth your time uh, to watch like a you know, an old black and white movie, but just the fact that it was recolored and it was, you know, in English, I I wound up watching a good portion of it. And when I first saw that, and I know movie critics are, of course, going to be like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so perfect. Never touch this. But (laughs) it exposed me to something that I would have never actually had the opportunity to, to be interested in. And I'm really sad that they took that down. Uh, I hope that that gets fixed and kind of put back up because it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of the nature of the internet. I'm sure it'll find its way somewhere, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's going away. And there's a lot of people who liked it quite a bit. I mean, yeah, you're right that there was a lot of people who criticized it. Too. Oh, movie critics. Yeah, they're going to, I yeah. mean, I don't know what else they can do. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll just put this out there. My two cents on that is, you know, everything that we do, every every person ever, um, even the greats, they build upon the work that's done previously. Yes. You know, it's a a remix. It's a rethought. If you think it's original, it's not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
you know, you're, you're putting a little bit of a creative spin on it. And, you know, it's certainly true to Deoldify. I, I, you know, stumbled along the way, mm. putting together old stuff and making something slightly new, cool. But you know, you can't you can't discount that it was like mostly definitely standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's that's what they did with this Metropolis remix. Uh, in my mind, it was a really awesome artistic effort, you know, yeah. but, but there were a lot of people that were like, well, I, I don't know if it's a lot. It's, it's more like the vocal minority, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that makes a stink when things, and it's a very predictable stink about this stuff, which is to say vandalizing. <laughs> that's literally what they would say there. You're vandalizing the sky's work, even though it's, you know, it's digital. It's not like they're like spray painting over the original, you know, the original still exists. You don't have to watch this new one. <laughs> I don't know. Shake that, shake that paint can, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Jason, I actually wanted, you know, as, as far as feel good stories go, our CTO of our company found a really old photo of his grandparents. And uh, we were actually, we ran Deoldify on it. And then our CEO, who really enjoys doing Photoshop, started with your template. And then with a fraction of the time, you know, that that it really would have taken from starting from scratch, he was able to choose the different portions and then fix it up really nicely. And we gave that back to him. And it's something I think he's going to print out and keep. And it's like, you know, this is something that probably would have taken or a a lot longer and or a lot of money. And now it's something that's going to be hanging up on a wall. And it's just like, there's a lot of really cool benefits to this technology and kudos to like releasing this out there and helping people out with this kind of stuff because it's it's just, I think it enriches a lot of lives. Oh, that's, no, yeah, that's awesome. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I just say to that, you know, I know, I, Deoldify has been compared to like manual colorist and you know, people will point out that uh, the manual colorists do a much better job and I agree with them 100%. You know, that I'll make... You know, I'm not going to claim that Deoldify uh, does anywhere near the kind of work that um, uh, Marina or any of the other ones. <laughs> well, price per do. second, you still win, though. Yes. That's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's that's the whole point of it, right? It's like uh, uh, it's, it's for everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. It, that's really what I'm trying to do here. Uh, it's like the uh, 80% solution for way less than 20%, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes it works out and you help people out. And sometimes the internet's just a generative adversarial network. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. I, I'm I'm really going deep on these dad jokes. I think we need to start right <laughs> So my reel them in. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna kind of nudge us over to picks. Uh before we do that, Jason, if people want to follow you online, see what's going on with the oldify, things like that, what are the best places to go? So yeah, I have a Twitter account that I'm posting to all the time. That's primarily where I'm putting progress on. And I mean, sometimes I just go into these uh periods where I don't do it, don't post anything on there because uh, I'm working. But yeah, that would be C I T. N-A-J, Sitnaj. It's my name backwards. Uh, that's my handle. There, of course, there's the GitHub, Jantic, uh, J-A-N-T-I-C. Um, it has the Deoldify project on it. And then uh, I also post to uh, YouTube with the same, I think it's the same handle. <laughs> anyway, if you search if you search for Deoldify YouTube, you'll 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 come across my account, my personal Jason Antic account on YouTube. And I post a whole bunch of stuff on there but i'd say i say your best bet's twitter all right well let's go ahead and do some picks gant do you have some picks for us yeah uh, so recently google developer fest was here in new orleans and i got to have a really awesome conversation with uh, ikaba bisong who is a google uh, gde in machine learning and he wrote a book called Building machine learning and deep learning models on the Google platform. I guess they were paying him by the word, and that's why he decided to go with the title that long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really, really, really awesome dude. He actually helped me for a little bit. I asked him to take a look at something on the course that I'm building for for TensorFlow.js, and he he put down everything and sat there and helped me try to find a bug. And I was just 
I mean, getting that kind of attention and care from from friendly people, super cool. So uh, absolutely, I bought his book. Next time I see him, I'm going to have him sign it. But I saw his presentation. He definitely knows everything he's talking about. And I can't wait to read his book. So Building Machine Learning and Deep Learning Models on the Google Cloud Platform. So I, that's my pick because uh, I know the author is a super cool guy. So the book's going to be awesome. Very cool. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Sure, sure. I have a, a non-technical pick this week. I've just finished reading the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. It's all about kind of like identifying and, and acknowledging our our like inner fears and limitations and learning to transcend those things. I just, I'm the kind of person who gets really fixated for long periods of time on uh, like the technical aspects of, of my uh my job and interests. And uh, this book is helping me to kind of uh, realize more of a balanced approach to life. So I'd recommend it to anyone who's looking for that same thing. Awesome. I'm going to throw kind of a different pick out there. I'll pick a bit a book too, just, just for good measure. <laughs> so I've been reading The 360 Degree Leader by John Maxwell. It, it's, it's a terrific book. If you're a leader in a company, this one's geared a little bit more toward the leaders in the middle. So middle management. So you're not at the top of the organization. And you're not at the bottom of the organization. So you're leading people below you and you're uh, being led and hopefully leading people above you as well. And he talks about how to be a good leader leading up, leading across, you know, people who are your peers and leading down. It it is a tremendous book. Here at devchat.tv, I'm not really middle management. I'm, you know, I'm at the top of the organization because I own the company, but it's still given me tons of ideas on how I can better work with my team and make sure that I'm taking good care of them. And then at the same time, I'm probably going to have them read it so that they'll have ideas on how they can open the dialogue with me on things that, you know, maybe they're not thinking about. Um, I like to think that I'm pretty approachable. And for the most part, if they have ideas, I feel like they, they're bringing them to me. But you know, just give them other ways of reaching out and giving them ideas on how this can all come together. Really enjoying that. And then the other pick that I'm going to put out there. Um, so this last Saturday, I can I can walk again now. I ran the St. George Marathon uh, in, in Southern Utah. So if you've never trained for a marathon, I will tell you it's an experience and it takes some time. But it's it's probably been one of the more rewarding things that I've done. It, it takes a lot of work. And when you get up to the starting line, at least for me, because it was my first marathon, the idea of being able to run a marathon felt impossible. But at the same time, I knew the road we were running on because I've driven it a number of times. And it didn't seem impossible that I could run down that road. And so, you know, there was kind of this juxtaposition until I finished and then realized, you know, I can run a marathon. And, you know, the fact that I'd done it on roads that I knew, you know, probably helped a little bit. But yeah. It, it was awesome. And so I, I really, really enjoyed that process. And uh, yeah, so finally, I'm also going to just shout out about Max Coders. This is, again, just helping people be successful in their careers and their lives. A lot of people focus on their technical skills, and those are important. But what I find is that a lot more leaders in companies are hiring for your ability to work on a team, your ability to learn things quickly, your ability to identify problems and then bring solutions. And so that that's going to be the focus of Max Coders. And you can go find that at maxcoders.io. That's awesome. So Max Coders sounds amazing. Congratulations on on the marathon. That is that is epic. Uh, I know a lot of people who who try that, and it just you know it's sort of like getting into machine learning. They have to try and then try and then try and then eventually yeah. they get it. <laughs> Yeah, push then, the pain. <laughs> yeah, as far as the the three sixty book, I only read books in radians, so I'm going to skip that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we could just rebrand it as the two pie leader, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there we go. Oh, heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jason, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, sure. I have a TV show. Uh, I, so you I have a I TV really... show. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I so. I, yeah, recently I, I got into this show called Adam Ruins Everything on yes. True TV. And I, I I just love it. So the basic premise of the show is that they take a different topic every week and uh, they ruin it, uh, meaning they dispel myths that people commonly believe about uh, this, that, or the other. And they cover pre- a pretty broad range of topics. They uh, recently 
I saw one on the on marriage, on death, on uh, college, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, what I really like about it in particular is that they really strike the balance of presenting genuinely good information because the stuff I know about that they talk about, uh, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I'm glad you're talking about that. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of stuff I don't know that they're talking about. And so it's like, you know, you're actually learning something new, but they, they do a really good job of uh, not only keeping it factual, but also keeping it really, really funny and entertaining. I, I'd say... You know, I was looking for like, I don't know, who, who who's the next like uh, James Randi or who's some of the, the four horsemen, uh, <laughs> Daniel Denon and people like that. And I would say uh, uh, Adam Conover, the host of, of this show, is that guy. You know, so I really, I really uh, admire what he's doing. That's a plus one on that. That is a, that's a great TV show. I will say that some of the episodes take me a little bit a while to to agree and some of them i never do <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah but but it's pretty cool like i've never even thought of some of those things it's a great show awesome all right well we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up thank you for coming jason and thanks to our panel yeah thank you all right well we'll have another episode next week and in the meantime max out bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more